When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David. First thing that happens is this guy's going to be disbarred. Well, I don't see anything here. I see a dud. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's, He's a pariah to the legal profession. None whatsoever. It is not a crime. This is all just a, a red herring to smear the president. This is about truth versus lying, and ultimately, Donald Trump is going to be done in by the truth. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. My guest today is Emily Jane Fox at Vanity Fair, who's going to talk about that knight errant Michael Cohen, who's finding himself in a lot of trouble. But before we get started, I want to touch on a third rail, the legitimacy of our government. So with irrefutable proof that the Russians not only staged a military intervention on our democracy, but staged that military intervention explicitly to install Trump and prop him up as a puppet dictator, there is a new crisis of confidence around the 2016 election and its legitimacy. Now, I think this panic has haunted the American electorate for a long time, but it's a panic that dare not speak its name. It's it's too existential. We'd sooner worry about autocracy or fascism than face the somehow more chilling fact that we've forfeited majority rule to a tyranny of the minority, the intransigent so-called base, whose capricious approval Republicans will do seemingly anything to maintain. But forget about the base, which I believe is as much a performance as a voting block. Real, regular, majority voters are hurting. And in a profound way, I got a bunch of emails this week expressing a simple pain by American veterans who can't fathom how a draft dodger wormed his way into the Oval Office. One Vietnam vet from Hayes, Kansas, wrote me, my heart aches every minute of every day. He just seemed polaxed as I am. It's an existential horror to doubt the legitimacy of our leaders and our democracy and believe we've been cheated and deceived and had the fundamental basis of this country hijacked. I believe that this pain is the pain reporters need to hear more. It is the majority of us, the ones who from sea to shining sea voted overwhelmingly against Trump and who've been horrified to see him and Vladimir Putin wage war on America, dividing us with racism, misogyny, the neglect of Puerto Rico, and the torture of children of color at the border. These are the people who speak for this country. These are the ones most determined to get it back. I'll be back to discuss Michael Cohen and the Trumps with Emily Jane Fox in a minute. But first, we at Trumpcast got an amazing, I'd call it bombshell, tape leaked to us. This is a tabloid publishing magnate and former Trump lover hashing out a contract for her salacious story and doing it the jazzy way. Cheryl, thank you for coming into AMI. I always think of you as Miss December. (laughs) 
Well, thank you for having me. I was thrilled when I pitched my story and you reached back and said you were interested in publishing. It's very exciting. Some juicy details in here about a romantic relationship with married businessman Donald Trump. Yeah, and I think it's important to share. It was a consensual relationship. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a very sex positive relationship. But I do think that the facts matter right now, especially as his political career is escalating. I think people need to know the whole story. We are prepared to pay 150K, that means $1,000 for this story. <laughs> yes, I'm aware what K means. That's great. Um, we're very excited about it. Now, let me tell you about the journalistic philosophy we have here at AMI. We're a tabloid company. We own the uh, National Enquirer. Right. We are huge believers right now in this new sort of hep thing called jazz journalism. Jazz journalism. That's right. It's yeah. about the articles you don't publish. Uh Okay. Are you talking about sort of sharing my story and not getting explicit with names, dates, and locations, but maybe painting a picture sort of of the culture that led to this encounter? It sounds to me like you're not familiar with jazz journalism. When journalists play on normal scales, minor and major keys, you know, those are articles that you can read. Jazz journalism is about playing in different scales and kind of not even publishing the article at all so that no one hears that you slept with Donald Trump and that never gets out and we just kind of sit on it and you know it's there and we know it's there and then we can appreciate it that way. But I, but I already know it's there because it's my it's my story, right? And you now know it's there because I've shared it with you. So what I would be interested in doing is sort of taking the story out to the masses mm. and having them hear the facts. But then they've heard it. Well, well, right. That that's part of what journalism is. But is, once they've heard it, they can never not hear it again. Um, that that is a true statement. Bop, bop. That kind of stuff. Yeah. But what notes didn't you hear? I don't. See? A lot. $150,000. That's at least two boats. Well, I, I, don't, I don't like the water. I'm probably not going to buy boats with the money. One foot on each boat? That's not appealing to you? It, it, it actually sounds dangerous. I want you to sign this and just think about how cool your story will be when no one ever hears it. This is just a paper with nothing written on it with a line that says, sign here. Yeah, well, I'll write the contract after you sign it. It's easier that way. Today's sketch was improvised, I don't know how they do it, in our Brooklyn studio by Steve Waltine and Kate James. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so if you haven't been reading Emily Jane Fox to keep up with the latest about Michael Cohen, you should be. Emily is a senior reporter at Vanity Fair, recently wrote a book about the Trump kids called Born Trump. Suitable for either beaches or air-conditioned fainting couches. I love this book. 
Emily, thank you for joining me on Trumpcast. Thank you for having me. So let's just recap that three days ago, the news surfaced that a fragment of a recording that Michael Cohen had made of him talking to Trump about Karen McDougal. I know Laura Ingraham has trouble telling Karen McDougal from Stormy Daniels, but you and I don't. We know Karen McDougal as is famous for being having been in actual love with Donald Trump. I someday think that we need to debrief her because she actually was attracted to him also, or at least she told that to Anderson Cooper. Her brain needs uh, to be studied for science. I do, really, really I'll always have a soft, horrified spot in my heart for, for Karen McDougal. So anyway, they were discussing Karen McDougal, the now famous scurvy story that she, that they needed to silence her. So they did this catch and kill adventure that I don't even want to explain, but involving David Pecker the very normally named David Pecker at um, American Media, which owns the <laughs> National Acquirer. And this con- the discussion of, you know, basically how to hush Karen McDougal and also silence her dreams of being a fitness journalist. We got three minutes of that recording. And Rudolph Giuliani, who's not silenced, who can speak on the matter and does, called this tape exculpatory. It's a funny thing because it's such a a weird thing to try and spin, right? It's everyone's spinning here. Both sides are spinning and they'll continue to spin. And we will eventually perhaps get, get the full truth if there's an enhanced recording or whatever it is. But what a weird thing to lie about if you know that there is a recording and that both sides do have the recording. It just seems to me like the silliest legal strategy of an already very silly legal team to exaggerate at the very best, and that's being incredibly generous to what Giuliani did, about something that we were going to hear. I mean, Giuliani, Giuliani's client plays the madman option. Usually, I think the lawyer would like tack against the madman option, but then they both just go full madman. Even if they want to play the madman strategy, because Rudy's been playing that since he came on the scene, right? Yes. Like this is, that, that's been his strategy since day one. Yeah. Right? It's one thing to try and confuse people and, you know, say all kinds of crazy things and and do all kinds of crazy things. It's another thing to completely lie about something where there is actual audio. It just, it it doesn't serve anybody. No one's going to be confused by that. Everyone's just going to say, well, you're a liar. Oh, and also there's more audio. Like this reminded me a little bit of when it seemed like the Trump team leaked that, you know, little piece of his tax returns. Exactly. In order to say, see, he's rich and paid his taxes. And so in this case, today, or sorry, yesterday, we got a bigger picture of what Cohen has been recording and this thing that played on Chris Cuomo's show last night. So what do we learn from that? I know you said that you thought no one was served by the Giuliani strategy and by the release of the the first bits of the conversation Do you think anybody is served by or there's anything to learn from this extended dance version? I think there's a lot to learn from it. And I think at the very best, it looks like the president knew about what was going on, which was up in question. If you just believe Giuliani's narrative last week, you know, you you could maybe believe Giuliani could maybe not. But now there's really kind of no denying that it's up, up for question. One of the things that keeps striking me, and I keep thinking about this now, have heard, having heard it multiple times, is 
it is so clear that the president knew what was going on with everything. Yeah. With everything. This sounded like a conversation like two people had once a day, twice a day, running through a list of everything that he needed to know. It was so familiar. It was so easy. It was so quick and hurried. And everything that Michael Cohen brought up, be it uh, whatever the laundry list of things that that he was talking about, the president jumped right in, didn't miss a beat, did not Mm -hmm. sound like he had to explain what he was talking about. It wasn't like he was like, who was Karen McDougal again? Remind me, or <laughs> or what do you who which friend David? It was there was no stopping to question. He knew exactly what Michael was talking about, and it sounded like a conversation that they had many many times. And so, to me, that's important because it speaks to the fact that Michael Cohen was not operating doing these things by himself. It's very clear that the president had the time to sit down and have these conversations with Michael, and that he is the man behind every decision. You know, someone familiar with Cohen's thinking told me this morning that there was not a decision that went on during the campaign or during any of Michael's decades at the Trump organization that Trump did not know about. So that to me came in loud and clear. The other thing that uh, stuck out to me was when he was talking about, there's a portion of the tape where he's talking about New York Times trying to unseal the divorce documents yes, with Ivana. with Ivana, right. And the president said something to the effect of all we need to do is hold off until after the election. So that is kind of him admitting that he wanted these stories buried until after the election. And so these payments made to women, and perhaps it's just Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels, perhaps it's more, but that to me suggests that the president and people around him we're trying to make those payments in order to hold off in front in, until the election. And that is a campaign finance issue. That that, that strikes at the heart of, of whether or not people can be charged for that. So at the very least, Rudy not telling the truth about these recordings was silly. And the president's attorneys waiving the privilege to these recordings was silly. And at the very best, it now allows people to know that perhaps there was a crime committed, too. I'm glad you brought up the Ivana thing because there was so much to pay attention to here that pay attention to here that um, that I had almost overlooked that even though that was incredibly striking um, Mm -hmm. in the conversation because as you know better than anyone Cohen has been instrumental in covering up some of the details or extenuating or or spinning some of the details of Trump's divorce from Ivana and there's some really bad stuff in there and if there's stuff that Trump doesn't want to let get out, and that's a story from a long time ago, you know, Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels are, you know, much more recent, then there must be even more than we know in the Ivana documents. It's funny, and the president makes a point of saying that Ivana doesn't want want it out there either. I believe that that is true. I spent a year and a half reporting this book, right? Yeah. And I got as much detail about the breakup of their relationship as possible. And there's so so much vile stuff that happened between the two of them and so many painful moments and horrible things that happened. The fact that there is still a document that has remained sealed, that both of them are terrified of getting (laughs) out more than 20 years later, it is unbelievable to me. Like how much worse could it possibly get with all the public stuff that we now know but very clearly there's stuff that they're they're terrified about getting out there it, it truly must be horrifying and just as a reminder so we know everything that Cohen is sitting on 
I wanted you to remind us of the things we do know. One of them, of course, is Ivana's charge that Donald Trump raped her, which, of course, Michael Cohen spun as impossible since, uh, in his view, from his coolly trained, sharp legal mind, there is no such thing as spousal rape. But anyway, mm-hmm. what else What else do you know or what else did you discover about that divorce that shows up in your rad book? You know, uh, the book, of course, focuses on the impact of the children. So from from the perspective of how this played out for the kids, what was particularly surprising to me was, you know, we all know about the paparazzi chasing the kids on the way to school as, as you know, the Marla story was breaking all over the place. I didn't realize that they had moved the kids to Palm Beach for three months because the scrutiny was so hot and the attention was just nonstop. And so, Havana uh, dismissed as much help from Mar-a-Lago as she could possibly live without because she didn't want them leaking to the press and mm. pulled the kids out of school. And they spent a few months, just the just the four of them, plus Ivana's parents, uh, down at Mar-a-Lago, hoping to avoid some of the attention and to just get out of the limelight a little bit. But meanwhile, this is when Marla was in her own sort of witness protection program hmm. where she was going around wearing like red wigs and going by pseudonyms. And first she hid out at, at one of Trump's friends in the Hamptons, but the paparazzi got on. And then she hid out at another friend in Atlantic City and was going through different parking garages and SUVs and had a bodyguard in order to, to kind of hide from people. And then she eventually went to stay in Guatemala for a little while with a friend oh. who had been in the Peace Corps. And it was a time where she finally, I think she felt like for the first time since the story broke, felt some peace. But Donald wasn't satisfied because he said, you know, no one's, everyone's still talking about this anyway. There's no reason for you to hide when you come back. And he had her do a sit down with Diane Sawyer while his children were hiding out in Palm Beach because they couldn't even go to school like normal kids because the attention was so hot. So it just gives you a sense of how many people's lives Trump is willing to ruin at once just because he feels like it. And these are people who are, you know, his wife, his three children who are all under the age of 12 and his mistress who he loved enough to blow up all of that for. He didn't care one bit about how all this was affecting them. He just cared about what was best for his public image. And to me, that's just the ultimate Trump anecdote. I mean, that's extraordinary. And also the willingness of other people to sit for it and upend their own lives for it and also to keep his secrets. Something's going on in Mar-a-Lago that they can't, that staff can't even overhear, that Marla Maples has to go to Guatemala in a wig to flee this. And and somehow he compels that level of loyalty and also silence which brings it's true, us back and that's to what you're Cohen. seeing play out with Michael Cohen. So anyone who doesn't understand the relationship with Michael Cohen, it doesn't understand the relationship that anyone has with Donald Trump. And it's this mm. sort of intoxicating, weird, twisted bond that he forms with everybody in his life. And it's funny, someone uh, very familiar with Cohen's thinking told me over the weekend, isn't it interesting? And by interesting, they they meant horrifying that the president has no friends and he has people in his orbit who want things from him and get things from him, but he has no friends. 
And the reason why is because this is what he does to people. He not only is loyalty a one-way street with him, but he destroys everyone in his path ultimately in order to self-preserve. And people get blinded and intoxicated by whatever it is, whatever charm that the president turns on, whatever promises he makes them for their lives. But ultimately the same fate falls on on everyone who, who ends up close to him. And this is something that you really document extraordinarily well in in Born Trump um, is so just the little bits and pieces that we get of the Cohen Trump relationship. Um, there's there's so much in this that that those of us who haven't um, you know been in fairly regular touch with Cohen that like you bless you for sitting for those <laughs> calls and contacts. But one thing we I think learned is that Cohen somehow is able to speak truth and raise distasteful subjects with Donald Trump. That surprised me because it's, yeah, yeah. He, he has a way of, of silencing reporters from asking him even obvious questions. And Cohen, there's apparently this old Scottish concept of a sin eater. Have you ever heard of this? Like, no, this I love it it's great. Like a designated person in a village who consumes everybody's sins. Somehow, I think there might even be a, a sort of meal involved in this, so that the sins are off the table, and he he's both like a holy figure in town and a despised figure in town because he's like consumed all the sins. And Cohen seems like that to me. Like he is sort of able to live in Trump's misconduct and crime with him and even invoke stuff that I don't know I've never heard bring up anyone bring this stuff up with him you know the like just the way it's that he true. confronts it's him true. in that Michael moment Michael had always said to me anytime I'd ever interviewed him but when I asked what I thought what he thought the president saw in him and why he kept him around and he said I'm one of the few people who would who would tell him what he didn't want to hear or would hmm. tell him the truth and didn't just say things to please him. Now, I don't know that that's true. Um, it's it, What is interesting to me is when I hear him on the recording, because I've heard his voice so many times and heard how he's talked to me and talked to other people, there is a, a slight difference in the tone of voice that he uses. I can't really describe it, but huh. you can, and maybe it's the kind of difference that everyone has when they're talking to their boss, Right. But there is a different tone of voice, and he does he does speak perhaps a little bit more respectfully to the president than he did than he does to anybody else. There's just a different tone there. Now, I would have said that's ridiculous. Cohen is just like the abused, constantly humiliated beta here until I heard him at the birth, by the way, of essential consultants. His, mm-hmm. um, his, his, like, crazy, devious LLC that funneled money for all kinds of nefarious reasons. I, I think that it's kind of, inter- we should pause and say, hardly mm-hmm. anyone, you know, he, he essential consultants did, was just a twinkle in his eye. He didn't even have a name for essential consultants at the time of this conversation. He just says, we need to start a company to do this. Um, it's me- like when people are dating and they're just starting to talk about like, well, what would you name your kid? Exactly. What would you want to name your daughter? <laughs> it's a special, definitely a special <laughs> moment for them. But, um, but I do think that Cohen, 
maybe because he's recording it, has decided, let's get to the matter at hand. We have business to discuss here. And I think it doesn't, uh, Trump flatters someone else in the room, like you did a great job, or I don't know, maybe the person that runs him the Coke, I can't remember, but he says some aside that seems like his usual manipulations. But Cohen kind of stays on task and says, we got to do this. And I was actually quite surprised to learn that Cohen really is the repository of all kind of the worst of Trump or lots of the worst of Trump, and that his role is to get down to brass tacks and talk I, about I think the you shit. hit the nail on the head that this is something that he knew was being recorded. So that definitely does play a part in this. Hmm. But you also have to understand this was two months out from the campaign. Trump was very busy and traveling a great deal. And so there wasn't a ton of time for them to dilly-dally. I think that, that Cohen in this period knew that he didn't have the president's full attention and these matters were pressing. And so he probably needed to get down to business. The fact that their record button was on, I'm sure escalated that feed as well. Why do you think he he recorded a client? And also, is this as shocked, shocking as Giuliani and Trump have tried to to make it seem? I'll tell you um, the reason that, that Cohen has or Cohen tells people for why he records things in general. He contends that it's not as nefarious as it seems, not necessarily all gotcha moments, that he uses them as contemporaneous notes. He doesn't take notes. He gets nervous when reporters are taking notes about him. And I actually, I know this to be true from times I've interviewed him. Anytime I pull out my, my notepad, mm-hmm. he starts like, you can see his eyes looking at what I'm writing. And it makes him nervous. It slows down his conversation. And so, so I know that that is true, that he doesn't love the idea of people taking notes in meetings. Do I buy that the only reason why he was recording people was that he wanted to use them for contemporaneous notes? No. Um, I also, also don't we, um, isn't Verizon and reporters expected to tell you when they're recording your calls? I, I think at the top of a conversation or at the top of a call, I don't know if it's um, Ill- a legal question or, or, or just for plausible deniability later on, but, um, but it, shouldn't he have told Trump he was recording him? It's, I don't think it's legally necessary because New York is a one-party consent state. So as long as one person is aware of the recording, it's, it's legal in New York. It's not true in other states. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, there are certainly ethical questions about an attorney recording his client without the client knowing, which was something that Giuliani had pointed out last week. But it, it is unusual. It is certainly unusual. And, and in this instance, it seems like there is an express purpose for it. Last night, I heard from another reporter who who talks to Michael Cohen. Um, incidentally, this guy is not quiet when it comes to talking to reporters, as you well know. And I know you're his go-to person. Um, you're like the sin eater for Cohen. <laughs> but, um, I feel like it. That now, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, my God. Sounds very familiar. <laughs> but um, but what this other reporter told me last night is that Cohen recently alerted her or him that uh, their calls, that Cohen had recorded their calls um, and their conversations, and he wanted to atone. I mean, he knew that it was wrong, 
And yeah. uh, at least, I mean, I'm hearing this secondhand. I'm hearing this from a rep- another reporter. Do you, and I don't know whether Cohen told the, this person that in order to preempt the revelation of the recordings, but he definitely knew it was wrong. Now, do you think it's possible that he's recorded some of your conversations with him? I don't know. I I, I remember the first time I interviewed him, uh, I, I guess almost a year ago now. Um, what a year. We, we sat down, we had uh, breakfast at a little coffee shop in Watermelon, the Hamptons. And mm-hmm. I sat down, uh, we were literally eating breakfast and uh, we started a very long interview and I said, um, I'm going to record this because I don't want to be taking notes the whole time. I'm not going to get everything down the exact way that you say it. I'm just going to record it. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, yes, I I am. (laughs) And went through a little back and forth and I, I ultimately recorded it. And at some point in the middle of breakfast, his phone lit up and it was clear that he was recording. Hmm. the conversation as hmm. well, uh, which just was funny to me because we went through that whole rigmarole of whether or not I was going to record it. <laughs> he's such um, a great guy. I don't know that he keeps this, these recordings. I don't know that he's ever recorded anything again. I have sort of, because I, I know that that was something that he did, uh, you know, it's always in the back of your mind, particularly in the back of my mind since April, knowing that, you know, who knows who else may be listening on, on a phone call. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to go about your life and, and hopefully hopefully you say things that you'd be proud of of all the time. And I'm sure that's not the case. But <laughs> So um, <laughs> speaking of other people who might be listening on to anyone call with Michael Cohen, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have the government in mind at all, I want to move a little bit to um, Cohen's role with in the in the Mueller investigation and also with the Southern District of New York. Um, one of the things I've heard is that Cohen, who kind of oscillates between saying that his you know first master is his country and his kids on the one hand, and then uh, also doing a lot of stuff that looks to me like he's angling from a pardon from the president still. I don't know. I mean, where do you think he stands on that? Do you think he's still still trying to stay in the president's good graces? Or do you think he sees his boss now as as the FBI, as the as the as the Southern District? From my reporting, the pardon stuff is nonsense. This is not he's not he's beyond that. He doesn't. Mm. If, if if there's going to be a pre pardon of some sort, it doesn't necessarily serve Michael in that he will still probably be called to, called to testify and subpoenaed and then cannot plead the fifth. So that is not the most appealing option for him. If there's a pardon down the road, it still means he would have to be potentially charged with crimes and maybe even serve time. So his interests from the way I know it are, are not to, to be getting back in the president's good graces. I don't think that there's a lot of warm, happy feelings about anyone with the last name Trump right now. Fascinating. Now, if there's no love loss between Cohen and Trump, I've also heard another another kind of chilling thing for Cohen, which is that the special counsel's office and the SDNY don't really need Cohen. In other words, he has no protectors. What do you think of that? It seems to me like Cohen is banking on the fact that he will be able to cut a deal. That that is the direction that he seems to be heading in very clearly. I have no insight into 
whether or not investigators need his cooperation. But I think that some of the things you're seeing now that people may interpret as, oh, he's putting these things out there, he's doing this interview in order to get a pardon. I think it is rather he's putting these things out there so that prosecutors understand that he is his his light is on and that hmm. his uh, treasure trove is overflowing. Um I do th- I do think the like the hope that he would be the dream witness for the special counsel has not panned out. Um, Or we don't know how it's going to pan out. How about that? Um, Sure. I mean, people uh, this over the weekend had told me when, when the, the notion that maybe these tapes were leaked in order to make Cohen a less valuable asset Hmm. to prosecutors Hmm. because it took sort of a card out of his deck when 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 I brought that up or when that idea was floated to me, what was said to me was, that's not true because, yes, this tape may be out there, but it's not what's on the recording. It is the backstory that matters. And also, you know, there were almost four million things seized from his hotel room, his office and his apartment. But those are just physical documents. What Michael Cohen knows is the context. He knows a lot of things that weren't written down, perhaps. And and oftentimes, the most sinister things do not get written down. And the things he he does know, it was expressed to me that they fall squarely in the purview of Robert Mueller's investigation. And one thing that kept coming up, it came up three times, three different people, was what he may know about the Trump Tower meeting in the summer of 2016 between that Russian lawyer and Don Jr. and Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort, where they were promised dirt on Hillary Clinton. And if Michael Cohen does know something valuable about that meeting, you can bet that Bob Mueller would want to know about that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be also that when I'm thinking about the possibility of his taking a plea, I'm thinking about a Flynn plea or a, or a Papadopoulos plea, but a plea might be, as they say, like butterscotch putting on Wednesday's prison versus a more terrifying supermax, not a slap on the wrist. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, yikes for Michael Cohen. He's been eating all those sins and, and, uh, that can't be good for him. Um, I, I know Come, comes back. It doesn't make you feel good after a while, you know, um, <laughs> Emily, I wanted to um, tell you, and I should have told you at this top of the show, that we are recording this. I really appreciate the, t- the, the heads up. <laughs> thank you. The so rarity these days. <laughs> thank you so much for, um, for being back here. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Will you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts? We'd really appreciate it. And also follow us at Real Trumpcast on Twitter. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. <laughs>